Welcome to the 6am Run Podcast. My name is Mark Paisant. I'm an avid runner, a certified personal trainer, a 6am Run ambassador, and host of the show. Be sure to head over to the website, 6amrun.com, to sign up today to get 20% off of your first order. Now, let's start the show. Hello, welcome back to another episode of the 6AM Run Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Paisant. Always a pleasure to have you a part of the show. Thank you so much for joining me. We have a good one today. It's my another first. I think we've had a lot of firsts this season, but uh, we actually have someone who's going to specifically talk to us about sleep and slumber and all that good stuff, and, and not only how much sleep we're getting, but how much quality sleep we're getting. I think we all... In this 24-7 news cycle, everything comes at us all the time, could learn from this one. But as always, before we get started, this show is brought to you by 6AM Run and 6AMRun.com. Head over to that website to sign up to get 20% off of your first order. So today we have Dr. Holiday Bell. And if you're looking for that's two L's in Holiday and in Bell, which you knew the Bell part. But doctor, thank you so much for being a part of the show. Why don't you go and just introduce yourself for our audience? Yeah, Mark, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk about literally my favorite subject, which is sleep. But as you mentioned, I'm Dr. Holiday Bell. I'm a board-certified physician as well as a certified sleep specialist. Um, and put simply, I just help people live happier, healthier, and more productive lives through better sleep. Sounds simple. <laughs> Sounds simple. You make it sound simple. Um, but for those people out there, and I'm including myself in here, what is wrong? I'm going to throw this right at you. What is wrong with the motto, I'll get enough sleep when I'm dead? For people who oh say God. that, maybe maybe I'm talking about myself. Maybe I am. But what's what's wrong with that motto? You know, there's so much wrong with that. I don't even really know where to start. Uh, I first start by saying, and there's a little bit of a shock factor to this, but it's true. When people say, oh, I'll sleep when I die, you are more likely to reach an earlier grave if you don't sleep. Uh, and I don't say that to scare people or because, you know, it sounds good, but because it's true. Sleep is necessary for our optimal functioning in every facet of our mental and physical health. Uh, people understand and accept the value of eating right, the nutrition, working out, running, all that is so important for your health. Sleep is a third pillar that's right up there, just as important as those two. And if not, really, I think of it as like the foundation upon which the other two are built. So you literally are um, potentially causing yourself to reach an earlier grave if you are not prioritizing sleep. Well, thank you for saying that. I, 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 I'm going to go back and probably listen to that a bunch of times because I need to hear it. But let's start at the beginning. Like you didn't just jump in this because you said, hey, I am I, I really love to learn about sleep. Like you had your own issues with sleeping. Is that correct? Absolutely. So the reason I became a sleep specialist is because as I went throughout my medical training, I had my own 
long, arduous battle with insomnia and lack of sleep. And it was something that I knew intuitively was important. And obviously I was a physician, so I understood that, you know, it's, it was important for health, but I didn't know just how important it was. And it was me watching myself become such a worse version of myself. I was on edge all the time, irritable. It was affecting my relationships. I felt like I wasn't being the best doctor I wanted to be to my patients. Uh, I felt like I was kind of walking around in this haze at all times, just like struggling to get through the day. And I was like, wait, this is not, there has to be something better than this. Like I can't continue to exist in this way. So really I was just like, okay, here's a problem. I got to figure out how to solve it. And so I started reading every single book there was on sleep. Uh, I started volunteering in the sleep clinic in my hospital. And throughout that process, I just fell in love with sleep. And I was like, wait a minute, there's more to this than just feeling rested. Like this really is the key to optimal functioning And as I started to put some of the practices that I was learning about into place in my life and seeing how it improved and literally changed my life, I was like, I I have to share this with other people. And it started out with just like my patients and then family and friends. And I saw how much I was able to help people. And so I was like, okay, I really need to dig into this. So I decided to get specialized as a sleep specialist. And I've literally been spreading the word to anyone who will listen ever since then. And I think I'm, I'm put in a, um, in a a good position to not only tell people how to improve their sleep and why sleep is important because of my education, but also because I lived it. I've been through it. I know how horrible insomnia is and I know how much better off I am now that I fixed my sleep. So uh, I practice what I preach and I've been through the struggle. And that's, that's great to hear. And I'm, 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 I always love to hear what people are going through something themselves and they say, not only do I want to help myself, I want to help others work through this. And I guess the question you probably get a lot of the time, maybe you do, maybe you don't know. I don't know, but does everyone need eight hours? Is that is that kind of what everyone should shoot for or does it truly depend on the person? Yeah, no, I absolutely get that question all the time. And it's one of my favorite questions because I feel that we don't address it enough. And so first of all, I like to tell people, sleep need is a very individualized thing. And so sleep need is like a shoe size. There is an average, but there is no one size fits all. So the average sleep recommendation is going to be seven to eight hours. But a few people will need a little bit less. A lot of people will need more. Myself as an example, I need nine hours of sleep. If I get seven hours, I'm exhausted. If I get eight hours, I'm okay, but certainly not functioning optimally. Nine hours is that sweet spot where I feel good. I have mental clarity, motivation, energy, all of those things that I need. And so I couldn't live life in the seven to eight hour recommendation range, I had to find out what that number was for me and then aim to get that each night. So that is my number one recommendation for people when they're first starting on their sleep journeys is first of all, figure out what your individual need is so that you know what to go about uh, trying to obtain every night. Mm. And of course, I guess the, the question usually after that is how do I how do I figure it out? How I find that out? I know a lot of people in the past have said, you know, the moment you feel tired, you get in bed, you go to sleep and then you wake up constantly without the alarm and you kind of figure out that week or two like how much sleep you need if i'm just being honest with you if if i went to sleep right when i felt tired a third of the work i got done in the day wouldn't get done but i i will leave it to you how do people figure (laughs) out like how much sleep is optimal for them yeah so i would say you know if you if you went to sleep when you felt tired and a third of the work that you need to get done when to get done i think it's a byproduct of not getting as much sleep as you need each night. So you're right in what you said in that 
falling asleep naturally, waking up naturally over an ex- you know somewhat extended period of time, like five to seven days is the most optimal way. I call it a sleepcation, right? Because most of us in our normal day-to-day lives are not going to have that luxury of doing that. But I think a sleepcation is the most luxurious vacation you can go on. And that really is a vacation that is dedicated solely to your sleep and really listening to your body's own needs. So that could be in a hotel, there are actually some hotel packages that are for sleepcations. It could be an Airbnb. It can even be just a guest room in your house uh, or even your own bedroom if you don't have problems sleeping in there. The biggest thing is that you don't have other daily time constraints that affects when you wake up and when you go to sleep. So having to go to work, having to do childcare uh, duties. And then for probably once in people's lives, you just listen to what your body is telling you to do. Now, the thing is, the first few days, you're probably sleeping off what we call sleep debt. So the amount of sleep that you're missing out on during the week accumulates and your body will try to pay that off to some extent. So I need nine hours of sleep a night. If I slept six hours, I built up three hours of sleep debt that night. Of course, you're not going to sleep for like 40 hours straight. So there's there's a limit to this. But for the first few days, your few nights, your body's like, let me try to make up for this. But after that, you tend to fall into this rhythm where you're falling asleep and waking up around the same time. And you wake up feeling energized, you're able to make it throughout the day with uh, full energy, and you get sleepy around the same time that night, that is indicative of what your sleep need is. Okay, well, that's, that, that's good to know. And and I guess for the people who um, don't have the ability to do that, or I guess, let me back up, I think we all can can find some way to do that. But during the day, if we get tired, are naps a good thing? I've I've heard both sides of this. Some people like I have a buddy who like lives and dies by naps. Like I got to get my nap in every day. And other people like I hate naps. If I take a nap, I'm groggy the entire day. So what is what's the you know what's your professional opinion on on napping? Yeah. So professionally speaking, I love a good nap. <laughs> <laughs> However, you do have to nap responsibly, right? So there is a right and a wrong way to nap. So let me start by saying. Strategic or power naps are excellent. They actually improve your energy, mental clarity, uh, creativity, motivation, and all those things throughout the day. Some studies have recently come out to say that they actually can um, extend your life. So those who who regularly partake in power naps have an extended, it's like seven years or something. Um, the thing is, though, it has to be a power nap. So that is a nap that is no longer than 30 minutes because... When you sleep longer than that, you actually get into the deeper stages of sleep. And when you're awakened from a deeper stage of sleep, you're more likely to have sleep inertia. So that groggy, disoriented feeling that people are talking about that they get when they wake up from napping. The other reason you want to keep it uh, short is that you don't want to steal from your sleep drive. So the longer we're awake, the higher our sleep drive builds to drive us towards sleep at night. If you sleep too much of that off during the day, you decrease that drive, you uh, take a chance on messing up your night's sleep, and then it becomes this negative cycle. So you don't want to do that. You also, for a similar reason, want to try to keep naps before 3 p.m. because after 3 p.m., you're more likely to steal from that sleep drive, even if it's for a short period of time. Ideally, you do it around that midday slump. So for majority of the population around midday after lunch, uh, usually somewhere between 12 to 3 p.m., we have a natural decrease in energy. Our circadian rhythm just has a natural dip in alertness during that time. So you are more likely to be successful at napping and have the increased energy from that post, uh, post-lunch post dip. So I say if you nap responsibly, like anytime I don't have clinical duties and I'm home, I nap every single day. And it's one of my favorite things to do. I that thirty minute though that that, that gets me all the time because I'll <laughs> eyes open up and it's like where, I've been here for two hours like this is not good exactly 
<laughs> That's the key. You got to set a timer. But, you know, after a while, like now, my body naturally wakes up after 20 minutes whenever I power nap. I don't even have to set an alarm. Okay. Um, and I think a lot of people um, may not think about this, but I, I would love you to speak about what sleep improper amounts of sleep inadequate sweet uh, sleep does to our appetites mm, yes that's that's a great thing to bring up and something that I like people to understand when I say sleep is more than just feeling rested it's for you know this reason in particular so when you're not getting an adequate amount of sleep or adequate amount of quality sleep the hormone uh, ghrelin that causes you to be hungry is actually released in higher quantities. And the hormone leptin that signals to you, your uh, brain that you're full is released in lower quantities. So you're likely to consume more when you're sleep deprived. You're also less likely to move. So when you are tired, sleep deprived, you're less likely to be active. But not just working out, right? Some people will push through the tiredness to work out, but your needs, your non-exercise activity thermogenesis also decreases. You're less likely to take the stairs. You're less likely to even fidget and move around and do those other things that add to our uh, calorie burn. You're also more likely to reach for the sweets and the snacks and the Doritos and all those other things because your sense of self-control and your desire for that instant gratification increases in a sleep deprived state you become you rely more on your primitive instincts which is just like this instant gratification as opposed to reasoning through the consequences of it so really it creates this perfect storm of weight gain and obesity even for someone who is active and works out and i think that's a lot of a lot of times people don't realize like w when you're depriving yourself of sleep like you're you're reaching for those high calorie high sugar things that'll and and of course we think the sugar is going to keep us up and we think the sugar is a good thing and we reach for more of the coffee and more of the caffeine and after a while it all adds up so um but i guess on on that point is it is, is there like a, a sweet spot to like end the calorie intake before you go to sleep is there kind of a sweet spot or does it matter um, it matters, but it depends on what kind of calories and how much. And so what I mean by that is your your bigger meal of the night, so dinner, should really ideally be three to four hours before bedtime. And that's because you don't want your digestive system to be too ramped up and active at a time that you're supposed to be sleeping. Every single cell in our body has a circadian rhythm, and the that internal clock or circadian rhythm tells our body when to be active, release certain enzymes, and all those things. So you do want your digestive system to line up with your um, with your sleep system, right? When you're sleeping, so you don't want that to be too active. It could also lead to things like heartburn or or other uh, symptoms when you're trying to sleep that are not as conducive to sleep. However, what I will say is a well timed uh, bedtime snack that is high in protein and complex carbs can actually be helpful. And that's uh, eaten within an hour of bedtime. And that's something like Greek yogurt, chocolate berries, uh, and some nuts. Something that is not gonna cause your digestive system to be too active, but the protein helps to keep you satiated throughout the night. Uh, and the complex carbs helps to stabilize your blood sugar because you can have uh, increased alertness and broken sleep caused by hunger pangs and decreases in blood sugar overnight. So it does help to balance those symptoms. And, and not that I thought this this recording would be anything but spectacular, but like there's there's so much that you have given us in in 14 minutes. It's it's ridiculous. So, um, but I I I, I kind of want to ask about um, the some people are just they they live and die by I have to have a glass of water before I go to bed, 
is that mm-hmm. um and i know a lot of times i've i've woken in the middle of the night and like that that glass of water at 3 a.m tastes and feels better than any glass of water throughout the day like there's <laughs> there's memes about it and it just oh my goodness but is that something that if you're not and, and i'm not saying there's people out there who are already getting quality sleep but for the person who's just looking to improve their sleep is that one step that they can take to improve their sleep um it depends <laughs> and the reason that it depends is that it, so if you are waking up in the middle of the night to take bathroom trips and that is interfering with your sleep quality such that it's difficult to get back to sleep, I would actually recommend limiting beverages before bedtime. If that is not an issue for you, go for it. The reason why that 3 a.m. water tastes so good and first thing, I actually recommend first thing in the morning just chugging a bottle of water. Like it's so helpful, but it's because you become dehydrated at night, right? Like you're not consuming beverages. You're not consuming foods that that have water in them. So you are becoming a little bit dehydrated, which can actually worsen symptoms of sleep deprivation in the mornings. So the more hydrated you can be, the better, as long as it's not interfering with your ability to get get quality sleep and get back to sleep if you have to go to the restroom. Okay. And so we've kind of talked about, um, you know, the, the, the meals caloric intake before sleep and, and the hydration, what in, I, I know I've, I've done research on this and I think I know the answer to this, but what should people be sleeping in when they sleep at night? You mean clothing wise? Clothing or bedding. Like I, I think that well, most people are probably sleeping in too much and becoming way too hot at night because your body self-regulates. But I, you're the doctor, yeah. so I'm I'm gonna <laughs> let you take this. Yeah, you're no, you're absolutely right. So our body temperatures have to decrease by one to three degrees in order to facilitate the transition to and maintenance of sleep. In the early morning hours, our body temperatures rise, and that is a signal to our bodies that it's time to be awake. We have cortisol release and all those things. So if you are sleeping in clothing that's too warm or if the temperature is too warm, you're actually signaling to your body that you want to be awake. So if you look at the research, the optimal temperature for your bedroom when you're sleeping is between 62 to 67 degrees Fahrenheit, which I love. I sleep at about 67, 68. Um, Some people are like, oh my gosh, absolutely not. I'm going to freeze, which, you know, If you're uncomfortable, you're uncomfortable, right? The reason that that's the temperature range is because they did all these studies on the average body temperature was 98.6 degrees Fahrenheit and saw that that range is uh, adequate enough to decrease your body temperature by the one to three degrees. However, again, it's average, right? Some people naturally run cooler or warmer. So I say start by decreasing the temperature by two to three degrees lower than what is comfortable for you during the day. And a lot of people don't realize like, oh man, after they do that, like I slept so much better because you think it's cool when you're awake, but when you're sleeping, it's actually helpful. Similar for what you're sleeping in and on. You want to sleep in light, breathable fabrics and on light, breathable fabrics like cotton, linen, bamboo, uh, and uh, or your birthday suit is also fine to sleep in. Uh, but you just want to make sure that you're cool. A fan can be helpful just to help facilitate that process of the dropping of your body temperature. Yeah, and I, I, I know um, I, I have to have a fan on when I sleep, and it's not just for the air of movement or to be cool, but I need that. That's kind of my white noise. That's kind of, I need, like, it's very hard. Is there, I don't know if there's a study or something that, like, I cannot fall asleep in complete silence. I can't do it. And maybe that's me having trained my, my brain not to, like, probably to overthink everything when it's completely silent. But is that, I mean, is that a common thing for people not to be able to fall asleep in complete silence? 
Yeah, it is. So there are some studies that have shown that white noise, and like you said, the fan is a mm-hmm. is a type of white noise or reproduction mm-hmm. of that, helps to improve sleep quality for a lot of individuals. I am similar. So I sleep with a fan on. Sometimes I sleep with my sleep headphones on that I play white noise or actually brown noise is my mm-hmm. favorite through. Um, but when it comes to sounds, it's either complete silence, so there should be no sound at all, or a continuous sound like a white noise. So the problem with sounds when we're sleeping typically is the differences in volumes of sound. So that is what triggers to your body to be awake and alert and basically make sure there's nothing going on in the environment. So for my individuals who like to sleep with the television on and things like that, they may not realize that that is triggering them to wake up and have poor sleep quality because it's causing them to be in the lighter stages of sleep because your brain is like, wait a minute, what are these changes in sounds? Let me make sure that everything is okay in my environment, whether you realize that's the case or not. So for some people, it needs to be that continuous sound like a white noise. And for some people, complete silence. And that probably just answered the question on why all the the sleep apps, everyone speaks in that NPR monotone voice where it's kind of like time to go to sleep. And it's like, you don't want to go up and down because that's, (laughs) (laughs) that's going to hurt. So, um, well, this is all great information. So one thing that I'm a big proponent of, and and everybody knows this is, is really focusing on the mental health aspect of people and and making sure we're we're at least talking about that and keeping the conversation going. So we've kind of talked about how sleep affects our body, how it affects our appetite, just the different ways we can get better sleep. But Um, You mentioned kind of the fogginess of the brain with not enough sleep, but kind of talk about how inadequate or improper sleep kind of affects us mentally. Yeah, it actually affects us so much mentally Mm -hmm. on very different levels. So I'll start by just the the kind of night after effect, right? A, A lot of people can think back after a night of particularly poor sleep, you're a little bit more on edge, right? You're a little bit, uh, your fuse is a little bit shorter, right? Um, And there's a reason for that. When you are sleeping, your amygdala, your emotional control center, talks and interacts with the emotional regulatory centers of the brain to strengthen connections between the two. When you're not getting enough sleep, you don't allow enough time for those processes to happen. And again, you go back, revert back to more primitive um, behaviors and thoughts. You have a, a lack of that executive functioning that happens in your frontal lobe or the front part of your brain. So you're just more likely to be on edge or more likely to be stressed after poor sleep. In addition, for similar reasons, you're significantly more likely to develop anxiety and depression. Some studies have shown up to two to four times as likely to develop anxiety and depression if you're not getting enough sleep because you're really not allowing enough time for that emotional regulatory system to be built and for you to have control over your emotions. What's interesting is studies have shown that you're also more likely to assign negative emotions to other people when you're not well rested. Um, And... uh, and you're less likely to look on the brighter side of things. So there's a study that had well-rested uh, individuals and compared them to individuals who are sleep-deprived, and it had them look at a, a situation that would typically be thought of as negative, but tried to have them put a spin on it. So like, what's the positive side of this? What's a way that you can reframe this to be positive? And the sleep-deprived group was was by far less likely to be able to find a positive side of situ- of a situation when compared to the, the well-rested individual. So it really affects our thinking and our behaviors and our emotions and all of those things significantly. And that that's good to know because I know that um, from personal experience, I know when I don't get that much sleep, I... I'm not always very nice to be around. Um, and it's just, <laughs> I'm a little, fuse is a little shorter. Yeah, you know, exactly. I'll, I'll try to put on that happy face, but sometimes you might not get the best 
version of me. And then I know someone's listening to this show right now and, and, and they're thinking, okay, well, I need to get better sleep. I'm going to go and, and grab some, some melatonin tonight. I'm going to, I'm going to take that. And what is, again, I'm asking your professional opinion, cause what, what are your thoughts on sleep supplements on melatonin on those things that people want to use to assist them to get better sleep at night? Yeah. So I think, you know, in our society, we are so uh, quick to look for the quick fix, right? Because we we just need something to fix it right now. We don't have the time to put into the process of fixing it. And I wish there was a great way to just go ahead and fix sleep right away. Honestly, there isn't. Melatonin does have its place, though. So I am not so I I think done correctly, melatonin can be helpful. But that's in situations when your circadian rhythm is thrown off for some other reason. So melatonin is really uh, a hormone that helps to reinforce and set your circadian rhythm. So it's it's secreted at night in the presence of darkness to help tell your body that it's time to go ahead and go to sleep. So if you're traveling across time zones and you want to shift your circadian rhythm to help with jet lag, super helpful. I even think if you're, let's say you're on a long vacation or even summer break, let's say you're like a teacher, right? You go to sleep and wake up at the same time uh, throughout the fall and spring and then you're on summer and you revert to a different schedule. It can be helpful to pull your schedule back, but use short term and it should not be relied on consistently to help you sleep. The caveat to that is in some older populations, some individuals with ADHD and autism, it has been shown to be helpful more long term. And the thought is that they actually produce less melatonin. But for your average individual, you produce more than enough melatonin. The other thing is people use extraordinarily high doses of melatonin. So you're getting into 20, 30, 40. That is very unnecessary. And in some individuals, this is more anecdotally in my experience, I've seen the opposite effect where they it's harder for them to sleep because they're taking so much uh, melatonin. We also just don't have enough studies to support long-term use of melatonin. So we don't know what the consequences of longer-term use are. So short-term, great. But I would just get your sleep schedule back on track and then not rely on that. When you think about other sleep supplements like the z of the world, Benadryl and things like that, or prescription sleep medications, I would actually uh, put that in the same category. I'm pretty much not a fan at all. And the reason for this is, especially when we're talking about prescription sleep pills, yes, they may help you sleep, but it doesn't tend to be that same restorative type of sleep that you get naturally. So I'd like to compare it to uh, going under anesthesia. If you've ever had surgery, you had to go under anesthesia, you slept, right? You were put to sleep for that surgery, but you don't wake up like, oh man, that that's so refreshing. I feel so much better now, right? Like you were asleep technically, but you're not going through the same stages in the way that you normally would otherwise. So I recommend really building those healthy sleep habits and routines, reframing those negative cognitions and behavior surrounding sleep that may be impacting it, and then reaping the benefits of fully restorative sleep instead of relying on medications. No, and I appreciate that. And and the the reason I don't take melatonin, I took melatonin for like two nights or three. I tried it and absolutely had the worst nightmares ever. I I don't know if I was too it much rim. I don't know what it was, but I <laughs> I was like, no, I'm not doing that ever again. So um, yeah, some people do have that side. Oh, uh, horrible! Just horrible. Um, well, um, and I I appreciate you talking about that because I know a lot of people look to those things and they think, oh, I got to get a good night's sleep. Let me, um, let me pop this Tylenol PM or let me get this, um, melatonin in and they think that is a quick fix. But a lot of times you're absolutely correct where it just like the sleep is there, but it's, you wake up and you don't feel refreshed. And, and it's, I think it's something that people 
need to know about. Um, so just so everybody knows, um, Dr. Angela is, excuse me, Dr. Angela, Dr. Holiday Bell, I don't want to disrespect you like that, um, has a, uh, a great website, the solution is She offers a bunch of services, kind of talk about some of the things you offer when people come to you and say, please, doctor, help me with my sleep. Yeah, so I I would say I specialize in cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. And what that is, is it's a treatment that is for individuals who suffer from chronic insomnia. So I, it is not lost on me that there are some people that do prioritize sleep and try to get their sleep need and, and, you know, have heard all the things and try to be responsible in that way and then still can't sleep. I am someone who suffered from chronic insomnia. I knew all the things and I was like, yes, I can put all these together, but it still didn't work. And the reason for that is by the time you have suffered from insomnia, generally for more than three months. So we say, uh, difficulty falling asleep, staying asleep, or waking up earlier than intended three or more nights per week for at least three months, you've typically built up this negative relationship and association with sleep. So sleep tends to cause anxiety. There's stress around it. You have all these thoughts like, oh my gosh, I'll never be able to sleep. I can't go through this again. If I don't get sleep, I'm going to be so tired tomorrow. I can't function like this. And that causes this hyper arousal state that is a complete opposite of what needs to happen in order for you to transition to sleep. And so by the time you reach that point, we really have to work on addressing those negative uh, and maladaptive thoughts and cognitions and the subsequent behaviors that you engage in as a result. So someone who feels that way might struggle to fall asleep and then say, okay, now I have to drink five cups of coffee and I'm drinking throughout the day and then I'm napping throughout the day because I have to, uh, you know, I have to make up for the fact that I didn't sleep at night. But then it causes this this cycle, this vicious cycle of sleeplessness and sleep anxiety. So it really takes breaking down all of those habits, building up healthier sleep habits. There are also some therapeutic techniques called um, sleep restriction, stimulus control. But really what it boils down to is fixing your relationship with sleep, making it a loving relationship as it should be. And uh, and getting you back on track. And so I offer that through uh, one-on-one coaching with individuals. I also have an online course that's based on that, that is self-guided. You can go throughout the course and it's the same principles and guidance. In addition, what I have uh, more recently transitioned to is, you know, I want to spread the word far and wide. And I think one thing that I was thinking about in my own journey was how much my job and what I did for work affected my sleep and vice versa, how much my sleep affected my work. And so I really wanted to help individuals become a better version of themselves and be more productive and efficient and motivated and energetic and all those things in their work lives because we spend about a third of our lives sleeping and a third of our at least work week working, right? And so they really, there's really such a significant bi-directional relationship there. So I work with corporations to help their workforce become more rested, to educate them on the importance of sleep and how to build better sleep habits. Uh, And then I also recently just wrote a book uh, on the same premise called Sleeping on the Job to really give people specific, actionable, uh, tactical steps they can use to improve their sleep and really set up their life from the moment they open their eyes to the moment they go back to sleep to really function optimally in the workplace and at home. You know, someone who has worked at multiple startups in my life, um, pulling the 12, 13, 14 hour days and then having to figure out what I'm going to do after work and then getting a little amount of sleep and then doing it all over again. I have, I've come to realization that's not a great, <laughs> great place to be in. I understand that, <laughs> yeah. but you have, I mean, you have to have, you know, when I think of uh, all these, and I, I'm not, I don't mean to generalize, but there's, there's CEOs or CFOs, there's people out there who 
who live and die by the fact that they became successful because they didn't get the sleep or they don't need, if you want to be successful, you have to, you have to make a sacrifice. And if you're sleeping, you're not making money. If you're sleeping, you're not learning. Like when you meet somebody like that, and I know, I'm, I know you're not trying to change anybody's perspective or change how they live their life, but how do you respond to someone who has that thought process when they meet you? Yeah. So, you know, it's that is a mentality that's so ingrained in our culture that it can be difficult to address. Uh, but I hit them with the facts. So there is research, mm-hmm. a significant amount of research at this point that shows that you are up to twice as productive when you're well rested than when you're not. You're more efficient. You're le- you're better at problem solving. You're less likely to make mistakes. So what I hit them with is like, you can say, oh, you know, I don't sleep because I got to get work done and I'm a hustler and all that. And I just say, I just get more work done in the time that I'm awake and still prioritize my sleep. And to me, that's a real badge of honor, right? Like the fact that I can do more in less time instead of stretching it out because I'm trying to burn the midnight oil, but I'm functioning at a fraction of my optimal level because I'm not investing in sleep. Take two, three more hours to sleep and I guarantee you, you will get that time back in the way that you're able to be productive and efficient during the day. So I I, I feel that a lot. some people are becoming more enlightened about that and are understanding how important it is. In addition, you are wearing out your body and your mind by not getting enough sleep. So you're more likely to miss days of work, which is hard to be productive if you're not at work. Uh, we call that absenteeism. And you're more likely to suffer from presenteeism where you're physically present, but your quality and quantity of your output is so decreased or diminished because you're sleep deprived that you're actually missing out. And actually the company or whoever your company is losing money because of that. So just investing your sleep and you're really investing in yourself, your well-being, your company, all those things. Yeah, and we and we know, and I've had plenty of people on this show and the other one who have talked about burnout, uh, especially from from our from our jobs. And and if we just look at the amount of sleep we're getting and the correlation of burnout, I'm sure it's it's literally one to one. Like, there's no guessing about it. Um, and I think more people need to really understand that. And not just it's not just the people working; it's the people who are leading us at the same time people who who want the best like if you say employees are our best asset they're our most important asset then they're not just employees they're in, in total individuals they're they need their sleep they need nutrition they need their fitness they need their family time they need all that good stuff so i'm glad that you you do that um and i may have to send you a few phone numbers to talk to after the show uh, i'm kidding i would not do that <laughs> i would not do that to them i don't Oh man, that'd be horrible. Uh, that'd be great actually, to be honest with you. But, um, and you know, what people don't know, and I, I think it's very great that you work in the space that you work in is that there is, and this is factual, um, there is a sleep disparity. There is a, um, there is a racial proponent to this where minorities are getting less sleep than others. Um, and I know this is a part of the show where some people are like, oh, Mark, why, you know, you didn't have to, it was so good. Why'd you have to bring race into it? I'm not bringing race into it. Race is already it's in it. It, it. it is what it is. Yeah. Race is already there. <laughs> but, um, and if you guys can't see, uh, the doctor right now, she is an African-American female. Um, I think you guys know I'm an African-American male, but I think this is something that we need to talk about. Why is there a disparity between the amount of sleep that the races are getting. 
Yeah, you, I'm so glad you touched on this. This is actually a, a subject that is near and dear to my heart as well. Uh, health disparities in general, but people don't talk about the sleep disparity, and there absolutely is one. African Americans are much less likely to get uh, sufficient qual- quantity and quality of sleep, so we are less likely to get the amount of slow wave sleep that the you know average non African American person gets. And I think the reasons for that are multifactorial for sure. Um, there, there are some correlations with neighborhoods that you live in and noise pollution and other types of pollution, but even when controlled for socioeconomic status. So, uh, African-Americans of higher socioeconomic status have a more significant difference in the amount of sleep that they're getting compared to, uh, white Americans of a higher socioeconomic status and even lower socioeconomic status. So it's not just where you live and the amount of money that you make. Some interesting studies have come out to show a a correlation between microaggressions and harassment and sleep. So there were studies done specifically in the workplace that assessed who experienced uh, um, discrimination in the workplace, uh, whether overtly or microaggressions, and then subsequently the effect on their soul wave sleep. Obviously, as African-Americans, we tend to experience more of those things, and there was a direct effect on soul wave sleep. So we do know that that is part of it. Part of it is that hypervigilance, right? I talked about that when you have chronic insomnia, you're in this hyper aroused state. When you are constantly dealing with a situation where you have uh, uh, are discriminated against or even this perceived of like, I don't want people to think of me a certain way and I have to be on edge and I have to be on guard because I don't know what's going to come my way. That absolutely affects your sleep. It spills over into your sleep, right? There's no way that it can't. And unfortunately, we tend to deal with those things more. I think historically, absolutely, there has been this uh, correlation between being black and sleeping and lazy. And like, if you don't, if you sleep all day, then you're lazy. Even down to slavery, they have pictures of slaves sleeping and would be and would put, you know, lazy or whatever and would label them with all these things, even though they were out in the fields working for hours on end. So I think that perceived notion of like, you have to be working hard all the time. Black individuals are also more likely to work multiple jobs, work odd shifts that affect sleep. So it goes so deep. I think The key is really educating on the importance of sleep and that sleep is not lazy and it's a form of self-care. When you think about all of the other chronic health conditions that disproportionately affect the black community and how insufficient sleep significantly increases your risk of all of those conditions, it really is fascinating to see how sleep plays into that. And so that's something I want people to recognize, to talk about, to educate people about. Uh, and I like to empower people to say, no, you you deserve to sleep. You don't have to earn it. It's not this something you get if you work hard enough. Every single human being deserves to sleep. And I think we need to speak more about the disparity in that. And I think something that, um, first of all, thank you for, for putting it the way you did. Um, it, it's, it's unfortunate that just because of you know, the way you look that some people might not even take the time to listen to what you just said. And I hope people do like I, it is nothing negative or nothing uh, derogatory about it. It's just like when you when you mention facts and research and historical data and social science and things like that, um, you know, I, I, I challenge people to think about it in a way that you know, try to live your life in a way where you have to consistently and constantly prove your worth to people. Like for no other reason than how you look like, and that is, it's tiring and you can't sleep. Like it's tiring and you can't sleep. Um, And you know, if, if, if you talk to 50 black female CEOs, depending on if it's a hundred people they work 
with or a thousand, ten thousand. They'll probably say the same thing about the fact that they had to work twice as hard for half the recognition, and yep. someone had to keep someone had to keep telling them, "You got to work harder. You got to work harder. You got to work harder. You got to work harder." And it's like, what? I, I, I can't. Like, how do I work harder? Like, I just, I, I just want it. So, thank you for saying it the way you did. And and at the end of the day, what you just said is is self-care is not selfish. I think that's something that I say all the time. And I think more people need to understand that. Um, so for, you know, the person listening right now who said, okay, you've, you've, you've hit a nerve with me. Like I understand how important it is, but I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I have time to sleep. Kind of what I mentioned at the beginning of the show, like, you know, bring it full circle now, bring it full circle. But they want to, they want to give it that try. They want to take the next step. What are just some simple things that people can do to just attempt to get the right amount of quality sleep each night? Yeah. So the first thing is prioritizing. Mm -hmm. And that sounds simple, but we make time for the things that we prioritize. Mm -hmm. I started my sleep journey as a resident working sometimes 24-hour shifts and 12 and 13-hour shifts. And even though I didn't have that much time in between shifts, what I realized is I wasn't prioritizing sleep. I was prioritizing coming home and laying on a couch and watching my shows because I deserve this time and sleep will just have to wait. And it wasn't until I started to flip that to say, I am prioritizing, I am indulging in self-care by prioritizing sleep and me feeling better and uh, acting better and being a better doctor and a better wife and all these things. The next day is worth me not staying up to watch these shows, not putting off sleep for these other reasons. Like this is a part of my self-care. That's when everything changed. The other thing is just set aside the time, right? So if you need seven hours of sleep, eight hours of sleep, start by saying, okay, this is my sacred time. I'm going to get this sleep and let me see how everything else fits into the rest of my day. You still have about 16 hours to do the things that you need to do. I think people will be amazed at how much they can still get done if they set aside that time to say, this is going to be the time that I sleep. I'm not touching this time and I'm going to make sure everything else kind of falls in line with that. Uh, setting your day up for sleep, right? So, so many people wait until nighttime and it's like, okay, after I get done with this full to-do list and I'm so stressed and anxious throughout the day and take care of the kids and do all these things, then whatever time is left, I'm going to go ahead and get to sleep. But it doesn't really work like that. The things that regulate our sleep work on a 24-hour process. So simply waking up at the same time each day will work wonders in, in training your circadian rhythm so that you naturally get sleepy around the same time and alert and awake around the same time. Getting some natural sunlight first thing in the morning, same thing. Light is the strongest factor that influences your circadian rhythm. It will absolutely help to reinforce things so that you're more likely to be sleepy at night. Physical activity, which people who are listening to this podcast understand the importance of that for your overall health, but it also promotes deeper, better quality sleep. And then the last thing is, Dedicating some time to winding down at night. Like for those of you who have children, most people understand the importance of a bedtime routine for their kids, right? They're like, okay, it's eight o'clock. We're going to put up all the toys. We're going to turn out the lights, take a bath, brush our teeth, read a story. Like there's this whole thing for their kids. But then when it comes to ourselves, we don't have that anymore. But there's a reason that you instinctively do that for your children. They need that transition time from the, the chaos of the day to sleep. So do you. And look at it as a time to indulge in self-care, to give back to yourself. Listen to some soothing music. Like my bedtime routine is decked out. And I'm like, this is the time that I get to get back to myself, to relax. And it absolutely helps with my sleep. So I would say those are my biggest tips. I think they will work wonders for the majority of individuals. 
And then if you're doing that and you are not able to get sleep, get help. Seek help from your primary provider, from a sleep specialist like myself, because I would say if you were to walk outside right now and break your leg, you would be like, well, I guess, you know, I have too much going on. I just need to figure out how this broken leg is going to work. You're going to get help. You're going to go to the emergency room. No matter how much you have going on, you're going to get help. The same thing should happen for your sleep. If you are not getting the sleep that you deserve, that you need to function optimally and be your best, get help because you deserve that. And you will see how much your life changes for the better. Thank you so much for all of this great information, Dr. Holiday Bell. How can people find you online and learn more about the great work that you're doing? Yeah, so my website, as you mentioned, www.thesolutionissleep.com. Um, I also like to be a little um, educational and entertaining on uh, Instagram. So you can find me at the sleep underscore MD. And then my book, Sleeping on the Job, uh, is coming out August 5th. So be on the lookout for that. I really just poured my heart into that and gave people everything that I could possibly give them. And so that allows you to keep learning, have a tangible thing that you can reference to look back on. So I'd absolutely, absolutely recommend checking that out. That is great. So this show is being recorded and is going to be released in July. So we're looking at next month for that book. Doctor, thank you so much for being a part of the show. This was so great. I appreciate all the work that you're doing to help people get the best sleep that they can. You take care of yourself and we'll talk to you later, okay? Thanks, you too. Thank you so much. Thank you, as always, for listening to the 6AM Run podcast. Again, I am your host, Mark Paisant. Please like and subscribe to the show so you don't miss any of this amazing content. If you can, we would love if you left us a review. Remember to follow us online and use hashtag 6AM Run to connect with the greatest group of runners and fitness enthusiasts in the world.